Hello and welcome to the Troopany Show. My name's James Troopany. This is my show. And today we are back with Glate. We are a Kurukan Hall, K Hall, if you will, uh, for their 9th of October show, uh, version X, Glate versus Kiyoteki, which was essentially Glate versus the freelance all-stars of Japan. <laughs> um, with some big, big matches and some high-stakes stuff in this particular environment. And of course, join me is our Glate correspondent, Mr. Marcus Green. How are we doing, sir? Going good, folks. Y'all know we wasn't going to stay on excursion too long, especially in America. So, you know, we're back. We are indeed. We're back on our Glate horse, as it were. <laughs> yeah, our Glate our glee beat, if you will. Our Glate beat. I like that. That's really good. Yeah. Um, mild, minor distraction. There is a show on, on the YouTube channel listed as the 30th of September. It's not. That's what confused me this morning when I found a different show. It was episode 59, version 59, which didn't get put on to YouTube until this week. So it's a little bit out of sync. I watched it. It's a good show. We're not going to cover it because we talked about the results before. So if you like to listen to the show, you already know what happened. Um, but it was the one with Jan's family versus the Sato brothers for the um, uh, G Infinity Tag Team Championships. Mm. And it, it was pretty good for a Sato Brothers match. It was the best Sato Brothers match I've ever seen. It doesn't necessarily, <laughs> the bar's quite low, <laughs> to be honest with you, at that particular point. Um, but yeah, well, this one, this, this show rocked. This was fun. This was great. This was top to bottom a thriller. And to open up, Junjie, Juntonsho, Kazayashi, Minoru Tanaka, and Yu Iska of Gleets took on a freelancers and Ganabre Pro All-Star team of Hagane Shinu, Keiji Tomato, Mizuki Watase, Shota, and Yumihito Imanari. Unfamiliar faces to Gleet fans and to people who uh, haven't got a uh, Wrestle um, Universe, which I don't think Marcus has. <laughs> so um, what did you think of this opening? Because it was kind of... Um, Balls to the wall is really the only way you can describe it. It was kind of everything you want in a Glade opener, plus times 10, or five in this case. Yeah, and Glade don't miss with the openers as as we and, and, and fans of Glade listening to us uh, know very well. You know, Junji always gets in these situations, shows up and shows out, and, you know, pair with Tansho, Hayashi, and, and Tanaka, particularly Hayashi and Tanaka, carrying the, the veteran this of it all. Uh, they always bring the fight. Um, but I got introduced to your to what you said to to Hagani and the crew, and they look. They, this was seven minutes, seven eleven seconds of what you would think is something that's been going on a lot longer than just a one off. So uh, this was fun. This was good. Like I said, uh, you know, some good stuff back and forth between the, the youngsters. But it was the v- the vets that brought it home as as usual. Tanaka closed it out. In a, in a really cool way, but this this very much could have went the other way. That, that, that the other team they they came to win. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, this was there's just so much fun. It's just like everything you want in an opener. It's, it's fast paced. It's up tempo. Junior heavyweight wrestling or junior heavyweight style wrestling. All of these were juniors. Most of them were. Um, with Minoru Tanaka being Minoru Tanaka, <laughs> the special mm-hmm. one indeed. Um, he wins it with a Mahi Strike Able, didn't he? So, yeah, no, this was everything you want. A lot of these guys on the freelancers team had actually been on the 
the junior festival earlier in the year. I know um, Keiji Tomato is, uh, was on that show and a couple of other people as well. Um, but this was fun. This was just fun. It was cool. Um, shall we move on? <laughs> yes, sir. This one, maybe not so cool. <laughs> it was short. <laughs> That's the main thing we can say about it. Um, Tomiyaka Honma uh, tagging with Ryota Hama against Hartley Jackson and Katara Suzuki of Black Generation International. Now, Ryota Hama is a veteran of the Ring Wars. I have been watching him now, low these last 15 years, do various things for doing different promotions, but these days I'm mainly concerned about his long-term health because the gentleman needs to lose weight. When your gimmick is you're really large and you eat a lot, there is a, a definitive shelf life to what you can do in the ring, and this match was living proof <laughs> of what's going to I shouldn't laugh because I'm serious. This, like, he, he's too big to do the things. He didn't used to be this big. He was around about 40 pounds lighter, you know, and could move and do stuff, and now he, he just can't. Um, I want to arguably to Mackahoma, who is also equally... Um, reduced in his in-ring ability because of injuries down the years uh, is also this so this was not the best tag team to put up against somebody as dynamic as Hartley Jackson and Katura Suzuki who bless their cotton socks bumped from all night well I say all night for all six minutes and 37 seconds because that's really all this match could last for it, mm, no <laughs> please don't do this again is all I can say not a, a very rare miss in the great canon well, it's kind of what the fans like, and you know, he, harm is over. He's massively popular. I, I'm just concerned. What do you think of this one, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not too far from that. This was, uh, <laughs> look, uh, you know, somebody who uh, very much got introduced to Hammer through uh, New Japan. In the scenario where he's featured is interesting to say the least. Even more so here because of uh, Hammer, who I was introduced to for the first time, and now I was like, well, okay, this is uh, it's a big fella. And, uh, yeah, it's not too many times that, that I see a match featuring Harley Jackson. I actually feel bad for him. Um, <laughs> but, he, he, you know, this was, this was even though this was under seven, you know, seven minutes, which was shorter than the first match, it probably felt a lot longer in, in there. Um, but it was an interesting closer. Um, but they did this, uh, this move where uh, basically Hanma and Hanma basically just fell on Paul Jackson. In two different ways, and and I basically named that combo from bad to worse. Um, but yeah, this was uh, yeah, this this could have this could have been a, like a um, if Glee ever do like a pre-show thing, this could have been a match to go on that, like not necessarily the, the main show. But uh, yeah, like you said, Ham was over. He does what he can. He does what he you know he sticks to what he you know he does and uh. Yeah, it's just an interesting combination because, like I said, I, I've I've seen a lot of wrestlers like a a Hama, and it's 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 an interesting type of character to have, particularly when it's, it's honed around so much of your physical physique and, and aesthetic, and it works to a degree because you become a, a certain type of performer. But like to your point, it's the overall long term health of it, and, and and like you said, I don't know if he's like you said he wasn't always this size, but yeah, it's uh, it was it was just the match that was there, you know. Yeah, I mean the first time, the first time I saw him was in all Japan, and he was tagging with Akibono, 
and it, they were all Asian tag team champions, and he could go. You know, he was a big guy who could go. But that was 2011. It was the first time I saw him wrestle, I think. And I pro- I've watched him, and he's floated around from. He started with all Japan and he went to nowhere and he's, he's kind of done the King's Road kind of float around that a lot of wrestlers do. Um, and I think, I'm not sure who he's with at the minute. Who's, who's he wrestling for? Is he a freelancer or is he wrestling for anyone specific? He's, he's with Big Japan at the minute and he does his thing and yeah, what it is, it just concerns me, you know, because yeah. we've had people this size um not last very long, hell life-wise, never mind wrestling-wise. So yeah. I'm hoping he's okay and uh, someone's looking after him, his best interests. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, the rest of the you know, doesn't happen too often. <sighs> Anywho, let's just move on to happier, well, all right, not happier things. <laughs> More badassery. This is... <laughs> um, Unagi Sayakai and Yukari Hosokawa brought in Itsuki Yoki and Yukari Oka for this particular four-person or four-woman match as they went up against Diamond Egoist, AOI, Michiko, and the long-term partner in, in violence, Risa Sera, um, or whatever lunatic that um, uh, prominence have... Um, yeah, prominence have available that week. Uh, it was Risa Sera this week. She was the original, the original member of Diamond Egoist. They brought in yet another legendary ringer, Arisa Nakajima, former ace of JWP, um, current ace of seed lining, just absolutely badass woman, um, <laughs> who was a top-level babyface for years and years and years, and, and now is a top-level heel. And they they laid into the babyfaces in this match, and it was another case of, I want to feel for the baby faces, but the bad guys are so cool. I don't feel like cheering for the baby faces, which I think yeah, may be part of the plan. <laughs> yeah, that, we'll it, get to that bit in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 at this stage, it feels like Diamond Egoist is almost too uh, evilly efficient, you know, um, and, and what they do in their execution. Yeah, they're just too damn good. It's impossible not to love them and their dark, dark hearts. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, it kind of reminds me of the, the situation back in WWE when the Shield first showed up, and then eventually it became just like everybody in the company just scrambling to come up with a combination that could finally take those guys down. It very much feels like they're here. Um, what I think, um, what I think, our girl Yanagi being the center of it. Um, Maybe I'm thinking about uh, Yukari, but it's uh, it's interesting. I, I do appreciate the fact that everything we've seen, the faces all taking the initiative to get the jump um, to kick these matches off and not waiting for no, uh, you know, a shake of honor, if you will. So, you know, they 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 trying to come up with combinations and strategies, but it's just having a good opening and, and not being able to close is becoming a thing. It is. Um, and after the baby faces lost this match, um, Yunagi Saikai, well, the match went down to um, Michiko and Yukari Hosokawa, and Hosokawa, as I'm alluding, and again, after a bastard driver from Michiko, 
and Sayaka, again, I have to say, Asukawa has been on the losing end of that manoeuvre several times in the last couple of months. And Yunagi Sayaka, who is ostensibly the senior in that particular locker room, pretty much had enough and went after Hasukawa while Oka and Aoki calmed them all down. Um, so we'll see where this story is going, because it looks like Hasukawa is on her own again as the 18-year-old who has to carry the company. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's and it's like I can it's it's an impelling it's a compelling story it really is because literally you cannot get more of an underdog than Osakawa is right now literally an army of evil coming for her that you know is badass as badass as it gets and I think the the feeling is like if everybody turns on Hasakawa you have got a baby face force when she finally does come back. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was actually going to ask you, do, do you think eventually, because uh, the frustration is building from both sides, like you said, obviously, you know, uh, the consistent losing and then her really trying to spearhead a lot of these different combinations to, tr- to try to knock these guys down. Like, they come so close every time. Strategy's good. They're just not able to close it out. And ironically enough, it's Michigo that ends up consistently getting the wins and the pins, which is actually great to see coming off of uh, everything that she went through before she uh, you know, turn heel, but I can understand the frustration. But uh, do, do you think this could, there's a small potentiality for this to go the way of how, how we saw it go with uh, Keiichi Soto, where it was kind of you know, uh, not beat him, join him type of deal, but for you, Carter, this time. I think there's a possibility. It's whether Michiko wants her or not, isn't it? That's the issue. It's like she went off on her phone and phoned Diamond Egoist because she wanted to get away from being. A salary woman wrestler. She wanted to be an individual again, and she wanted she had leadership ambitions that Osakawa wasn't living up to. So that's the thing, you know. And and it's interesting as well because Michiko is one of the hottest wrestlers in Japan right now because of the way she's dealt with this. Stardom have asked her to go and guest on their shows as a top level invading heel. You know, she's. She's as hot as she's ever been in her career in the real life. So that story has to keep going. And if Osakawa joins them, does it keep going? You know, that is the thing. Is like they've kind of like got lightning in a bottle here. So <laughs> so I I know I, I keep it going for as long as you possibly can before somebody turns on somebody. I think Sayaka is the interesting wild card in this because she clearly isn't built. She's a loner, and she isn't built to be a locker room leader. She's built to be a freelance wrestler who does her own thing in the storyline. And she goes off to the States for two months, and Hosokawa's on her own. So, you know, there's all sorts of real-life stuff that builds into this storyline, which I like. Because Sayaka's got to make a living, so of course you're going to go to um, the Indies on the West Coast that are going to pay you a big payoff, or go wrestle from, you know. That's the thing, and it's like... I like that storyline. I like the idea, the mix of realism and the mix of uh, storyline reality. I think it's really cool. I think it's done properly. You know, it reminds me of some of the ECW storylines and like not the big ones, but some of the smaller stuff that they used to do, like Johnny Smith having a problem with, I think Shane Douglas put him out with an injury. No, it was Rob Van Dam put him out with an injury. So Johnny Smith came back to just mess with Rob Dan Dam and there's two months of TV you know <laughs> and this this is what I like about this it's it's kind of it's multifaceted you've got layers and you've got characters you can bounce around 
which when you only get one or two matches per card, that's really kind of what you need to do. And 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 they're doing it and they're doing compelling stuff and that's that's really cool. Uh, Janai Kelly is not on this show. She's back in the States as MLW's women's champion at the moment, um, which is really cool. I like that a lot. She's really good, and I think she's going to be really far. And as I discovered this morning, Minoru Suzuki thinks the same thing. So, put on Janai Kelly. Um, but yeah, have you any other thoughts on this particular matchup, Marcus? Yeah, for the women, like I said, it was um, it's great seeing the baby faces had a strategy of like we 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 can't afford to not get to jump on these guys. Because one, if we don't, feel like we're never going to get out the blocks. And, and two, it'll be stupid if we don't because they've consistently been doing this since they got here. Um, but the, yeah, like I said, they they even on, you know, because I think we said we was going to check out uh, 59, which we already, like you said, did the results up, but go back and take a look. Like they did the same thing there, but the result was the same. You know, they couldn't close it out, you know. Um, and, and Michiko came out as the winner. Like I said, it's these matches be close, but it's ultimately, you know, Cigar, and I can understand, like you said, if your car is there, this young 18-year-old really fighting for a life at this point, um, and that frustration is building, I, I get it. She's trying to lock down. She really needs to lock down a squad, much like Diamond, that can can feasibly get wins consistently um, that she can depend on, because at this rate, she's going to either up and just throw her hands up and, uh, Walk off for some time, like you said, or, or you know, there's potential if Michiko wants it for her to join, and that would be disastrous for everybody else. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, but some cool spots in this match as well. If you like spot based wrestling, go look at this because it was really cool. Next up, we had an interesting um, UWF Rules tag team match, which pitted Sam Watanabe and Tetsuya Izuchi, not normally known for um, their shoot abilities, though. Let's be honest, Izuchi has been slowly sticking more submission stuff in his repertoire. He won a match on that show, 59th show with a with a Kimura lock. So Watanabe, not in his usual sky blue tights and in black kick pads and black trunks, which was an interesting change for him to take himself seriously. Then he went up against UWF Pancras UFC legend Maximoku Funaki. Uh, who tagged with Tyson Maguchi of Shota, um, not Shota, you know, Kotobushi's um, professional wrestling laboratory. Uh, he's one of Kotobushi's um, protégés, so it was interesting to see him, like you know, as one as a protégé, one of the ultimate pro-style wrestlers in a shoot-style match. Um, and yeah, this was thoroughly entertaining and. Um, which is not normally something we associate with UWF Rules tag team matches because um, they're usually a bit technical and engrossing. But this one was this one was a full blast. This was back and forth and all over the place. I love this. This was great. One um, RB News each year, obviously giving an awful lot of way of experience under these rules and going up against a living legend, which is never going to be much fun as far as uh, as far as getting on the winning end is concerned. But in the end, it was Mikuchi with a knockout over Izuchi that settled this particular match. What do you think of this one, Marcus? I always appreciate these UWF rules. Like I said, they really feel like uh, chess matches, but with, 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 uh, with bodies, obviously. Um, you know, Watanabe and Tetsuya, uh, interesting combination. But uh, on the other side of things, me being introduced to these two uh, OGs, if you will, Funaki and, and uh, Miguchi, 
you know, two of them ultimately, man, they came to kick ass and, and chew bubble gum, and uh, neither one of them did any chewing here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they you know they was applying pressure very early on out the gate, and to Watanabe and uh, to Suyu's credit, they made up a lot of ground, but it got murky in the middle there because both sides got disqualifications. Uh, but that that was also playing into just how, uh, you know, things were kind of getting to a fever pitch, you know, on both sides, thankfully, because, you know, you know, it just got to a point where Watanabe was, you know, was just not having it. And then neither was uh or Funaki. So it was close at the end there, but I think it was Tetsuya that just he got caught clean about twice and it was out. You know, you can't, you can't really blame him, man. Them, them shots, man. It's the... Because he was the trading back and forth, going back and forth. He probably thought he had it, and then I think it was was a Funaki. Is that called? I saw his Miyaguchi. Yeah, it might have been. Let me flick back here a second because I've got the matchup on. Uh, I'm watching it. No, it was Funaki. Yeah. It he took the standing eight cat, and then Funaki went in with palm strikes and, yeah. and a couple of knees. and. They was trading for a little bit, you know. I and then it's from Palm Strike, and that was all she wrote, really. Yeah, thanks to Suyu. Thought he had him, and Funaki stepped back a couple of times. Bop, bow. And, uh, yeah, you, you can't you can't really blame him, man. It's them, them shots are just, <laughs> they'll, put you, they'll put you on another day of the week. You know, but it, it's no shame. You know, I think Funaki and, and Tyson, they keep them together. Uh, they're going to be an absolute problem uh, on the thing. And it was cool to see that respect after the match. And, like I said, it's not... Soma and Tetsuya, uh, you know, unique combination on any call, but I think they was just, they was fighting uphill to a point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, uh, um, you know, Funaki's he's just a legend, isn't he? <laughs> 54 years old, that man. Like, he's six years older than me, and he's had some of the hardest, like, proper fights you'll ever see. And, yeah, you know, him and Minoru Suzuki were the guys in Pancras. And they used to actually carry guys in shoot fights because they knew the guys coming up weren't as good as they were. So they'd carry them <laughs> to like, you know, 10 or 15 minute matches because they could put them away whenever they wanted to. So they would carry them to make it interesting. That's how good they were, you know. And yeah, just, just insane level of ability and just such a natural talent at hurting people is the best way of putting it, really. And so we go from the sublime to, indeed, the ridiculous. Well, we've got a plenty of ridiculous to go, but let's go with this particular matchup. Now, there is an argument to be said that if you are taking on two deathmatch wrestling legends with one of the best tag teams in pro wrestling in the last 15 years, you probably shouldn't make fun of deathmatch wrestling before you start. I'm just saying. When you're wrestling two guys who wear white trousers to make sure your foot shows up on them, I would take the things a bit more seriously. Which was the problem is saying it's like and Takanari so hard. And it was one of the problems. Because <laughs> they came down to ringside because they're Jan's family. Of course, they would not come down to ringside with a barbed wire board. They had ladles stuck to a plywood board. And I believe Kadaki and Miyamoto were not happy. This is Yankee Tei to Kenju, Isami Kadaka, and Kyoki Mayamoto going up against Yan's family, Issei Onitsaka and Takamirito in a thoroughly entertaining back and forth death match. But you just, you just don't mess with some folks, do you, Marcus? 
Yeah, this was one of the best things on the show. Um, and then I had to get a little settled to it because I'm used to seeing these particular type of matches with a uh, non-traditional tag scenario. So um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, tornado. Thank style. you. Thank yes. you. Yes. yes, I'm used to the tornado style. And uh, tornado very much felt like it hit. It just wasn't um, the traditional rule side. But I think ultimately... Um, and this is something I appreciate about the match that it, it was the natural tag, traditional I should I should say uh, tag style, which kind of slowed and honed the chaos so you could really sit with it and feel it when it went out. Uh, particularly, you know, we got early, we got table spots early. Um, the the ladle, the ladles laying on the table was new, uh, very interesting. Um, and I got, I got to give props to Issei. Like you said, it's, it's not the best uh, pre-match thing to kind of go two killers. But um, that may have been the first time. And I, just, I ought to believe that was the first time I saw that, considering all, all the years I had watched Mick Foley. A bobbed wide headband. Mm. That, 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 yeah, that, that was a thing. It but, happened. But to be fair... <laughs> this fight warranted that it probably warranted it a lot longer than he was using it honestly um i would have been pulling some harm my head but um going to kiss these guys because it, it, it was one of those situations to your point it's like we've been talking about them you know uh, for the longest now young span has been slowly becoming one of the best things consistently on the show and he's saying and ito specifically two of the best but they're two of the best on glee <laughs> These two guys ain't from Glee, and they came there and kind of, you know, uh, planted their flag, if you will. And it was a hard-hitting match, back and forth, uh, great spots. But ultimately, you know, Jan's family, you know, tried to, you know, plant a flag in somebody else's wheelhouse, and they wasn't having it, you know. So it was a version of a pod driver on some uh, some light tubes, and that's all she wrote. What do you say? But I will, I will say I do appreciate their strategy seeing early on of like that Ito guy, yeah, keep him out there. <laughs> and it's, it's hone in on this E set. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, this was just so much fun to watch. I, 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 must, I miss watching Asami Kidaka. I don't watch as much of his stuff as he used to, but I kind of fell in love with him a few years ago because he's just so much fun to watch. Um, I, he's currently wrestles for pro wrestling Basara, but he kind of grew up in all sorts of wrestling. This is his training list. Jun Kasai, Minoru Fujita, Nobuhiko Takada, Takemichi Noko, and Totoko Amori, as well as Jackie Mimizawa. So basically, he was trained by the guy that runs Freedoms, one of the biggest badass shooters of all time, the guy who trained that guy, <laughs> Takemichi Noko, who's one of the best junior heavyweights who ever lived, and Teiko Amori, one of the guys that made Kings Road Wrestling, Kings Road Wrestling. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Yuki Miyamoto, who was trained again by Teiko Miyamori, and Mr. Ganesuke, another legendary FMW deathmatch wrestler. So they know what they're doing. They can have great wrestling matches. They don't necessarily need the bells and whistles to go with it. And you put them in that particular situation, which is what they love to do, and Onitsaka and Uta were willing to go with them, and it's 12 minutes and 44 seconds of wrestling joy, and it's not yeah. that violent. <laughs> yeah, you got you got everything. You had you had a, a good level of control, chaos. Like I said, I think that traditional tag kept it, you know, to mm. where it wasn't just complete chaos. Like I said, you could really hone in and focus and, and keep track of everything when stuff happened, and it, and it mattered because it 
you know, it uh, felt like it lasted. But uh, a quick question. Do you think with the combinations we've been seeing with Yon's family, uh, specifically uh, with talking, talking Ori, do you think he would have fared better potentially with Kadama in this situation? I think so. Though I think Kadama is a bit more of a traditional kind of wrestler and may not be into the whole deathmatch thing. And I think as well is like, Onitsaka and Ito are signed great wrestlers, so they've got a bit more invested in the future of the company. Um, so I think yes, I think there are there are, the the other two guys may have been better partners for this particular environment, but also Onitsaka's character is he's so committed to the cult of Yan's family, he will do anything for them. So I think the story goes better with Onitsaka than Kadama. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think you're right. Kadama's a better kind of guy for this kind of level of match, but I think this works better from the story point of view. So I'm I'm happy it was on its own in a circle. Um, so yeah, it was a cool one. I enjoyed it, and just just so much fun. Now we can get to the actual realistic ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So Bulk Orchestra, Czech Shimatani, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Raichi Kawakami. Uh, the leader of uh, of uh, a ball orchestra uh, defeated Gainer, the great Sasuke, and Ultraman Robin in nine minutes and forty eight seconds in a match that was well. Let's see, um, ball orchestra brought down to ringside a two man tent, which anyone who has been to a festival in Europe will recognise as the one you buy for the weekend and leave there. Um, because it was probably cost you a tenner, and you may have done things in that tent that you perhaps do not when your parents do not. Um, so <laughs> you don't necessarily want to bring it home with you. Anyway, um, it's one of them tents, you know, buy a decathlon for a tenner, that kind of tent. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they brought it down to ringside and stuck it next to the to the to the commentary table. And I'm intrigued by it because obviously I don't read, there's a sign on it and I don't read Japanese, so I, I don't know what the sign says. But they're, they're making a big play about this. And I'm like, this is intriguing. And this is what I love, by the way, is even when they do stupid stuff like this, they're all in. <laughs> they absolutely believe that this tent has special powers. Um, and then they set two on Gainer in the Great Sasuke and Ultraman. And it's exactly what you think it is because, you know, Sasuke is a lunatic absolutely positively a lunatic and has been a lunatic for the last 20 years if you want to see one of the greatest visual moments in pro wrestling history go find his match with Atsushi Anita the no rope exploding barbed wire death match with Atsushi Anita where he does a flying tiger death drop sorry flying tiger drop over the barbed wire onto Anita on the floor because he's that wired that way <laughs> um and, and Gainer, who's a good hand, and Ultraman, who's, you know, playing an Ultraman. And they have this match that just kind of goes all over. And then as Bulk Orchestra are on the losing end, they head over to the tent and disappear into the tent, um, having brought them the, the other team with them. And then they come out some time later after the cheering of the crowd, wearing what can only be described as very cheap alien masks. Um, and then promptly go and win the match, having given themselves superpowers. And I, I yeah. <laughs> huh. 
I'll, I'll go with that. What did you think of this one, Marcus? This is probably a little bit silly bit for you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of them things for sure. Sorry about that. No worries. Yeah, it, <laughs> this, felt, this felt like, um, and there's no... Uh, at all trying to degrade uh, how the performers it did feel like the cool down match to that to that hardcore affair yeah and you had some serious business to come yeah so it was like really serious business to come it's really the best matches played for on this year to come so yeah, yeah i think it was mindless stupidity which was fine and it has its place and you know it's a palate cleanser, that's where his job was. And it did, it, it was just fun. It wasn't anything particularly serious. And it's okay. Um, yeah, there was a picture of uh, Kawakami praying earlier this week, and I sent it to Marcus with the note, perhaps you should have looked for divine intervention earlier this year. True, his yeah. winning record was somewhere in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is all right. Hey, they got to win. That's, that's the main thing for them, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. So yeah, and they beat some guests as well, which not everybody else did in this particular show. Yes. Um, the one thing Boko Kestra do is was play 100% commit to the shenanigans and still get the job done. So. Oh, they do. So let's just move on then. So the original match was billed as Flamita going up against Keito Ishida for the leadership of Black Generation International. Now, unfortunately, Flamita could not attend this particular show. Uh, due to injury, I believe. I'm not really sure, but I think it would probably be injury. And as a result of that, he got to nominate his replacement. And as always, you know, card subject to change. Now, believing that Flamita couldn't trust anyone in Black Generation International, he nominated Shima, which was a very interesting choice. So you had the rebirth of a Dragon Gate feud back in Gleet, which defensively, let's face it, because after the roster is from Dragon Gate, it's, it's, it's going to happen. But this was a very welcome singles match between Keita Ishida and Shima. Ishida takes the win in 16 minutes and 37 seconds. Shima came out with a Flamita mask to show that they had did approve of each other's particular direction in professional wrestling, which I thought was really cool. And then Ishida went to work cutting down a legend, and it was a sight to see. This, this was awesome. I really loved this match. I loved the show generally because it was so well balanced, but I did love this particular match. And especially the story of Ishida going after Seema's knees. Um, Ishida's nickname in Dragon Gate was Kit Boy, and this was really <laughs> a, a really good example of how he got that nickname. And this was great. Really enjoyed this. Absolutely wonderful. What did you think of this one, Marcus? Yeah, this was this was fun. Like I didn't I didn't uh, offset and hear everything uh, beforehand. I mean, you kind of you kind of tell though. Uh, and that's always a great thing about Glee sometimes, even if it's uh, a long-winded promo, you can kind of get the gist of everything that's going on. So for me to kind of pass the mask to uh, Keito, you kind of just like, okay, I would have I did this with, you know, go ahead and hand it off to you. And then obviously we got a great match to the young former G-Rex champion versus, you know, like you said, uh, the legend in, uh, in SEMA. And he showed up and showed out. It was great. Um, I think it was was it Sheeta that was attacking the arm and Seema going after the leg. Other way around. Sheeta went after the knees. 
I'm guessing to take away the meteora and then Seema tried to land the meteora, meteora and landed on his knees. And that was a major setback for Seema. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, though. Good stuff. Um, where they were trying to break each other down, it was uh, it was really cool to see, obviously. Uh, the crew was going to be by a sheet of side outside. We didn't really get no interference from that, which was, which was great. I always appreciate that. But uh, yeah, they just 16 minutes, 37 seconds of some really good stuff, man. And, and she'd eventually put them away. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'd um, allow you to fill me on exactly what happened after the match. <laughs> now, as Marcus said, as the promos in this particular match were in Spanish and Japanese, not our thing, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. You would have thought after there were enough years of us watching Japanese wrestling, we would have probably picked out some words, but no. Uh, and my Spanish is non-existent. I'm sure yours is particularly rusty. <laughs> yeah, same. I tell you, yeah, I took years of French, and that's not helped me at all in this particular world. Uh, <laughs> La resistance ain't exactly a current thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe, maybe we'll be able to DM and get some small but poignant tips from Omega. Who knows? Indeed, true. Uh, but yeah, so after this particular match, uh, Ishida calls out Takahiro Yumiara. Yeah, sorry, Yamamura. I should pronounce his name correctly. Now, if you watch Glade shows, you know that there's usually a DJ show before the show, and Takahiro Yumiara is the person that does those shows. The reason why he is a DJ is because he's a member of Strong Hearts. He was a professional wrestler. Um, he has been retired um, for around about eight years now. Um, he, well, 2019 he went off with the he was trained in dragon gate wrestled in dragon gate um and went to oew with the rest of the strong heart boys in 2019 um and then picked up too many injuries and he retired um and shida called him out um and challenged him to a match i think from what i could figure out um uh which then isay on itsaka came down blew ishida out the way um and essentially said look the guy's retired he, he can't wrestle you're kind of pressing the wrong buttons here and you shouldn't be like you know pressing into a guy's past it's not fair um essentially that's what made onitsaka mad and kind of put a fire into ishida and onitsaka which we're not really seeing from onitsaka he's, he's been the happy-go-lucky guy he's been the family guy you know he's the, he's the, he's the joker in the pack and to have him fire up like that against Ishida is really cool to see. And I think that's kind of the making of a really good story to come. Now, in real life, Ishida and Yamamura are actually best friends. So I'm guessing he's the ideal person to do this kind of angle with. And Yamamura has been working in the back offices of Glade ever since the company started. So if he wanted to do something like this, it was kind of the right people to do it with. Um, and, you know, Onisaka as well is a member of Strong Hearts, um, at least in the background. On TV, he's a member of Jan's family, but you know he's been with that crew for a long period of time as well. So that's really what happened. I think we're building something with Onitsaka and Ishida, which could be really special. And I hope, look, I hope to see it soon. I'm also doing a lot of guesswork, as you can probably, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. Um, but yeah, so we'll see what happens there, won't we? Have you any thoughts on that? Because it was really impassioned, I thought. Um. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, to your point, it, it was great to, to see. Uh, like I said, Glee does this great thing about 
keeping the ball rolling. They, they could have a four to five star match and immediately get into something following it, uh, you know, without waiting weeks and, and months or whatever to, to, you know, get into something new, you know, which which keeps things fresh. You never second guess and stuff. Obviously, like you say, you might be playing a guessing game with stuff here and there, but they're not in the business of playing tricks with fans or, you know, trying to hold up some type of weird old ace up their sleeve that has nothing to do with nothing just for, you know, pop's sake. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, it was good. It was cool to see and passion and stuff and um, to see Black Generation getting off into something else uh, with everything that's going on. Like I said, there's a lot of great stuff going on up and down the car. Um, and we got some, you know, we had some great visitors on this show. Uh, two more we're going to get to in this next match. But, uh, yeah, well, it, was, it was really cool to see, like I said, even not understanding, you, you still felt the passion through the screen. Absolutely. And this next match features the latest invading force that has been threatening Glate, which is SBK and Takuma. They are on an excursion in Mexico, having left uh, Dragon Gate about around a while earlier this year um, and just kind of like decided to do their own thing, making a living in Mexico, um, decided they were not going to wrestle for Dragon Gate anymore. And they, they kind of were one of the most popular geos in Dragon Gate before they went on excursion as young boys. So that's, that was a really interesting decision. Um, and they came in as a, a threatening force. And Bulk Orchestra and Strong Hearts came to a bit of a truce and said, well, the best two guys to deal with this, Ayoto and Tomorrow and Al Linderman, they're not focusing on anything else. We'll give them the ball. Um, and Tomorrow got the blessing of Bulk Orchestra to wrestle with Al Linderman. And they've been tagging together for about a month or so now. And they actually blew by SBK and Takuma in this match in the sense of they put in, well, I can put this. Hayato has a look in his eyes when he goes to the ring and you know something special is about to happen. If you watched all those matches that him and Chechi Matani had for the G-Infinity Tag Team matches, you knew something was special was in the offing just by the way he was conducting himself. And he was pumped for this match. And Lindemann had the same kind of quiet authority about him. Um, you notice Lindemann started doing warm-ups before the match started, and so did Tamora as the champs came to the ring. This was all business, and it was serious business. And SBK and Takuma come to the ring, and they really put on a showcase. They were outstanding. This could be the best tag team match Blake has had all year. In a year when their tag team matches, their major tag team matches have been uh, lackluster, one could say, and this kind of just saved the whole tag division in about 18 minutes and four seconds. <laughs> again, again, you got multiple candidates. This feels like about four or five now, maybe six, that you could drop them tag belts on and it'd be fully well within your rights and believable to do so. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't hate the Sato brothers. Well, they are a bit boring. <laughs> like I said, and we we got spoiled with uh, Tamora and, and, and Shimatani. Oh, yeah. We got spoiled. Like, it's, it, 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 you know, it, it's not, like you said, it's not their fault. But you kind of, you kind of, you know, um, go that high and then you kind of get stuck in the middle with those two. And, it, you know, they, they do what they're good at. Uh, but it was just on a different level, uh, consistently on a different level. So, you know. Uh, we're just trying to get back to that. That's all. Not hating, just you know, debating, oh, if you will. Um, and uh, this was brilliant. This was, you know, like you said, it was. Uh, 
already coming off good business with that with that singles match, but this was just phenomenal. Gleet Gleet needs visitors, man. Like and again, we go back to talk about Diamond Eagle, it's like I find myself, I'm like, man, I'm a home team guy, but I'm like, yo, <laughs> SBK and Takuma. I'm like, they remind they they remind me of uh they remind me so much here of, of ABC. Um and impact. Chris Bay and, and uh yeah, and and, and and Ace Austin, they you know, they flew it like that. They you know, just that chemistry, the some of the moves, like it was great to see. I'd actually really love to, to see those four men square off. I think it'd be a phenomenal show stealing match. But yeah, they came to play. They came to play. Uh well, to your point about Hayat, uh, you know, Tamora. Tamora got that look on his face when he had a match of like like I wrestle as good as I look. <laughs> it's face like you see me oiled, you see me buff, you see me doing the chest pops, and I wrestle just as good as I do that. And uh, you know, Linderman is 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 absolute stud, but they got put through the paces here. SBK and Takuma were I mean they like I said, they came to play. They was they was moving like a well oiled machine and then getting a lot of that stuff off and off effectively. And this could have went either way. But uh, the hometowns, the home teams pulled it out. I think uh, uh, Linderman pulled off a high angle that was a Tiger bridge and suplex at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to see. That is that is uh, a textbook Linderman to see, but that was yeah, that was a high angle on that. That was that was some sweet stuff. But uh, yeah, they definitely, you know, uh, worked to get that win because SB and Takuma was just. Like I said, it was on a different gear. I would love to see more of them. I hope they stick around. And like I said, this is another team added to the list of people you could drop the belts on. And I, even though they, like you said, visitors, I wouldn't be mad at it. They, they got the skill set to do so. Absolutely. And just, I, I tell you, who actually came to kill remind me of? They remind me of early '90s Gato and Jedo just with their attitude and their strut and their cockiness and you know they they Jado and Gato in the 90s had a t-shirt which was the best wrestling teacher ever which on the front had a picture of Gato and Jado in black and white and on the back said fuck you we're Gato and Jado which is just that, is, that a wrestling t-shirt that's all you need <laughs> sometimes you just you can rely on the brilliance of simplicity yeah. you can and it just, they just remind me of watching those old matches with Gato and Jello just walking like you own the place and wrestle like you own the place and you'll do fine and they did they they look like they could run the show um, and there's an arrogance about them I thoroughly enjoy um, and I don't think them losing does them any harm because I think Tamara and Lindemann are bringing them into the fold rather than treating them as outsiders, which will be intriguing to see uh, long term for them. I think they have a great future in Glate if that's what they want to do and they clearly have an idea of where they want to go. And there's an awful lot of history of that tag, that style of tag team doing well wherever they go because their individuals and work as a team like Gato and Jado and like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody and they did all right didn't they <laughs> yeah yeah they they, yeah. they moderate, moderate success <laughs> <laughs> so I think that kind of attitude that you bring to a wrestling match and that kind of attitude you bring to a storyline 
is just phenomenal. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. This was absolutely arguably the best match Blake's put on this year, I would think, up until the main event, which arguably could be better. But we'll talk about that in a second. But yes. Oh, anyway, let's just think. T-Hawk versus Shuji Ishikawa for the Urex Championship. Shuji Ishikawa uh, came on to T-Hawk's radar in that big show at Tokyo Dome City Hall in this a 10-way tag team match where the G sorry, where the Glate guys went up against Coach Ibushi's All-Stars. Ishikawa and T-Hawk kind of got into it at that particular card. And Ishikawa came a call in for that G-Rex Championship. And this was an old-school main event style 90s old Japan kind of wrestling match. It was stiff. Absolutely one of the stiffest matches Glate has put on. T-Hawk um, his championship reign has not maybe set the world on fire, but this match did. This is kind of where it starts for him, as far as I'm concerned, because he's had great matches, don't get me wrong, but not in the way Linderman carried the belt. Um, and I think, you know, he's kind of in Linderman's shadow, and more matches like this will certainly break him out of that shadow very, very quickly. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Ishikawa was a big hitter. He's a big striker. Obviously, deathmatch background, he's got an awful lot of experience of wrestling outside of the Dragon Glate, WWE Glate uh, kind of dictomy, which is what makes it interesting because style makes fights. He's a big guy because he has about 60 pounds on Hawk. So this was a wonderful thing to watch, and T-Hawk sneaks it out. It's kind of the dishonorable way to win, but it's what he needed to do to win this particular match because Ishikawa was all over him. So this was... This was really good. And um, a defensive championship win for your G-Rex champion. He was showing some interesting signs of character development throughout this reign where he's got more and more defensive and so slightly paranoid um, about the people around him, which I think is an interesting story. So without falling out with his teammates, it's just the guys on the other side. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm intriguing. I'm... I'm I've always been all in on the T-Hawk reign as a champion, but I'm 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 starting to see facets now that I'm really starting to enjoy because he's doing things differently and he's starting to put his stamp on this championship reign, which arguably he should have done about a month, two months ago. But you know, there's a lot of things going on in this promotion, and you've got to pick your moments. So this was a good moment to have. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, much like what we got with uh, the Bulk Orchestra Tag Team reign. Um, that that's how I, I you know akin it to. Uh, you know, Lindemann's reign. You know, mm. it was just that consistent gear of great high-profile matches like this throughout his whole reign. And, you know, obviously you would want that, you know, in every champion. But I think, to your point about what we're seeing with T-Hawk now, every champion has a unique story. And I'd rather, you know, um, something that to, to grow and maybe expand the character and then just do the same, same, same type of deal. Because he all getting eliminated, they're not the same type of guys, they're not the same type of formals, wrestlers, none of that. So obviously the experience is going to be different. Um, and it's interesting looking at this matchup, because like you said, Styles make fights. And it, it was to a point where like, I didn't know how much of T-Hawk style was helping him in this fight. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, the man's name is Suji uh, Ishikawa, but it could have been calling him Mount Fuji Ishikawa, because he was... He came off, even if I'm over embellishing over the size, and he just came off like that over the screen. Like, he's a mountain of a man, like you said, towering over. Felt like he was towering over T-Hawk, and he, you know, T-Hawk isn't no small, small form by any stretch, but 
that 60 pounds did a lot. Maybe it's very much how he carries himself. But that's how I felt in this match. I mean, he didn't even really, I don't think they felt, I don't even think he got it. Suji down up until like halfway through the match when he knocked him off the ropes. Um, so it, it really, you saw T-Hawk very much, you know, matching toughness in a lot of ways, um, as much as he could anyway, but very much fighting uphill on a David and Goliath type of deal. And everything he was throwing at him, it just got to a point where it was done. And Suja was just packing on the offense. And to Keyhawk's credit, you know, sometimes you just got to realize that, you know, a, a, a win is still a win at the end of the day. And he did it in a brilliant way because it, he just saw that he was just going to have to take what he was given and, and come up with something different. And he did. It was a, it was a good movie pull. Like you said, it might have been a little bit of that, that sneaky style. Um if you will, but it got the job done, and that's what you got to do with champion. Like I said, it's not like what we got with Lindemann, but perhaps that's a good thing, you know, because it wins like this, Bill character. He very much escaped here. That's what it was. It was an escape, and Suji very much showed him respect after the fact, but, you know, in T-Hawk's mind, once he's in that ice bath after this match, I would imagine he he knows he got he to gotta wait. He got to wait here, you know. You just reminded me of a story. I'll have to tell it's a non-wrestling story, but I think you'll find it's cool. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just it, heavy, heavy stuff to end this card with. Um, just a plethora of matches that, again, there was no chill, just bang, bang, bang. And yeah. that's what makes Glade great sometimes. It's a... Uh, they put the right kind of like match in to break things up before we got to the heavy stuff, but there was just so much that you want in this match and just so much that you want in this, the latter end of this card. Um, where do we think we are with Glate at the moment? Because I know we both love it. Is, is there any, where do we go from here? What's the next step for them, do you think? Because they're doing all right with crowds. This was 745, which isn't best for Corican. I think 1400 is the limit, but it's bigger than they had last time. And it, that was bigger than the time they had before that. So if they keep doing shows like this, they're going to keep rocking, aren't they? Absolutely. I just think you stay consistent. I think you 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 keep a healthy rotation in there of, of bringing in visitors. And uh, I think, you know, to your point, like you said about, you know, the way Lindemann and, and, and Tamora was, was kind of a welcoming SBK and, and Takuma in instead of doing the, you know, uh, other than shutting them out with the with the thing. You, you've got talent like that in front of you. It can only help anybody's roster, you know. So, you know, I think you keep definitely keep things like that in rotation. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, he heals up and we get Flamita back in the swing of things because I think he can go up and down the card having show stealing matches in six men's tags and certainly singles. Maybe put him up against somebody like a Jack Caldwell. That'll be fun. Um, so I just I just think they got a great roster and, and so many great things going on and so many different combinations they can try. I like how they experiment with matches. Uh, not necessarily all of them hit for me and you, but I mm-hmm. very much appreciate the growth and variety. You know, which is only you know gonna aid the show, and then you got a great storyline going on with the women. Uh, like you said, like we consistently say, endless possibilities. It feels like with potential tag champions, and uh, you know, like I said, it felt like T-Hawk very much escaped here. So whoever's next on the horizon, it's uh, if it's paranoia, if he was mildly paranoid before this match, it may have not helped even with the win here because you know he didn't necessarily successfully climb the mountain, but he uh. Yeah, uh, like I said, he got the job done. And sometimes a champion, that's 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 all you need to do, you know. Uh, 
it just all always come down to three seconds. And like I said, he was taking moves that I would have just got up and told the ref just handing the belt, I'm going home. <laughs> so people preparing them with stuff. I'm like, geez. So um yeah, I just think you gotta stay consistent. Like I said, the growth is there, the growth is there with the audience, uh, in terms of the crowd, the growth is there with the venues, the matches, the the uh the quality of cards and even the, the I would imagine the YouTube growth. And hopefully we've aided with that. So um yeah, they just you know, just keep chugging along. They haven't they haven't done many, if anything, wrong, you know. So no, absolutely. Not. They're on the right track to doing good things. I will tell the story because you said the ice bath thing. It reminded me of a story of Valentino Rossi's book. Um, there is a motorcycle race in Japan called the Suzuka Eight Hour. Unbelievably, it's a race at the Suzuki Motorcycle Racetrack and it, it goes for eight hours. It's part of the World Endurance Championship. And you do it in two riders. So one rider does 45 minutes to an hour, the next rider does 45 minutes to an hour. Now, Valentino had always dreamed of riding this particular this particular race because it's like a race for legends. It's kind of like Le Mans is for cars, right? And all the big names down the years have gone and raced it. So when he signed with Honda and they said, would you do the Suzuka 8-hour? He said, of course I would, yeah. And it was the first time a big name racer had ever like done it for about five or six years. Anyway, they go to Suzuka <laughs> the first year and he starts racing. But what they hadn't told him was that between each down session, they take the racers away, they're put through massages and stuck in an ice bath for, both, for body recovery for 40 minutes, and then dried off and stuck on the bike and go racing again. <laughs> anyway, him and Colin Edwards, the second, a guy from Texas, who you can imagine was also thrilled to do such horrible things to his body, they went off, and the first year they finished second. And, oh, God, we're going to have to come back here again. Because the basic deal Honda gave him was, if you win, you never have to do it again. They finished second. Oh, <laughs> So the second year, they went back. Anyway, Colin wasn't doing so well. And he wasn't having a particularly great weekend. He wasn't going quite quickly. So they gave the bike to Valentino. They were in second place. Or they were just managed to get the lead back when Colin off got off the bike. And he gave it to Valentino. And he was on the second to last leg. And the team boss said, don't go that fast. Nurse it home. We'll take second place. Well, Valentino gets on that bike and shoots off like a bat out of hell. <laughs> Breaks the lap record three times in an hour. <laughs> you like, no, you don't just walk it, walk it back. Like, I won't be walking at all if I got to go through this again. <laughs> Goes off into the middle distance. Let's see which way he went. Anyway, pulls in to swap over to Colin and he gets off the bike and says, whatever you do, don't drop it because if we lose, we have to come back here again. <laughs> <laughs> to get back up, Colin gets on the bike and they take the win and they were just so ludicrously happy that they had to go back to Suzuka Racing again. So that was my story. I know it's not a wrestling story, but it just makes me smile. No, I always appreciate it. I mean, that's, that's, that's wild. I would imagine... <laughs> I would imagine the, the concept of sitting down has a different na narrative after that. I, the Suzuka 8 hours insane because it, it's like, because it's in Japan. It's kind of bigger than the way it's kind of like how Daytona is to NASCAR or Indy 500 is to Indy racing. It's bigger than the series. So winning that race because it's at Honda's home track, Suzuki, Yamaha and Kawasaki 
throw money <laughs> at those projects to to make sure they win. Like there was a bike they had in Honda had in the nineties that they built that you could rev forever and it would not blow up. You could literally hold it on the stop for as long as you wanted and the engine would never blow up mm. because it was that reliable. Um, and Carl Foggett could describe that bike because you press it between the green bits and press go. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it was insane the amount of money they were throwing at it to win this particular race just every year. And it's, they still do it. It's not quite as important as it used to be, but they still get like... Oh, riders who had retired 10 years ago get big money offers to go work for private teams. Can you come ride for us this weekend? Kevin Schwantz, who's like in his 60s now, retired 20 years ago, is still a guest rider because if Kevin's on the guest team, they get all sorts of kudos for inviting Kevin. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those kind yeah. of things. It's a bit like <laughs> it's a bit like Saudi Arabian, Saudi Arabian WWE shows, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. But, but with, you know, less dead journalists and horror um but yes um <laughs> anywho let us move on thank you very much for joining us on the troopany show today where we talk about all sorts of things but mostly professional wrestling and i'd like to thank my guest mr marcus green of baton rouge louisiana thank you very much for your time sir where can we find you on the internet oh thank you always a pleasure you can find me on x uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> if you if you if you can find me i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, give you as much information as i can uh, it's at uh, on X at Paradox Kid P A R A D O X K I D, like you. Uh, the suffering continues uh, on on Elon's ego trip of an app. Uh, there, there was there was a really good story in the Guardian today explaining why Elon's doing what he's doing, which is basically, if all the nice people leave, right wing lunatics can just diatribe to one another and pay for it. And that's basically just a bit. He's trying to make us all quit <laughs> so that the right-wing lunatics can take over and misinformation can be traded back and forth at price. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because those, those flat scans are, are very much paid to, to be in their own echo chambers. He's not wrong there. No, true. But there we go. You can find me at Sherry Flowstar on Twitter. I do go there occasionally to let off some steam. Um, I'm also on Mastodon. You can find me at Sheriff Lonestar on socials there. And you can find me also on Instagram. Oh, it's not really very wrestling orientated, but more guitar-y orientated. Um, and you can find us on the show, on the Trooping Show, on Instagram and on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook, the Trooping Show, though we very rarely visit that page, I must admit, because it has had literally no impact in the last eight years of us doing the show whatsoever. But there you go. What can you do? Um, and we're on Patreon. We keep the Trooping Show free forever for everyone. We will speak to you next week. The last three weeks have kind of written themselves, haven't they, Marcus? So we're going to have to think of something next week. Oh dear, what should we do? We'll for sure we'll think of something. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.